Well, that reminded me of that song a little bit in a kind of totally different way. Back in um, 1992, I was at a Christian college. Thanks, guys. I was at a Christian college, and I was leading worship. But back in the day, leading worship was not nearly as cool and hip as it is today. It was more like traditional. And we had something at Milligan called, um, we had like a the Staley Lectureship Series. It was it was the most boring thing that would ever happen, but it was required. All students had to go. And, but we had a renowned New Testament scholar named... Um, uh, Bruce Metzger, who was there, an older man at that time. He's since gone to be with the Lord. And, and uh, I, I got up with a friend of mine, and we were going to sing uh, Stand Up, Stand Up for Jesus, you know, and uh, it's an old hymn. And, and because it's college students, and it was like 8 a.m., 9 a.m., I can't remember now, I, I said, let's all sing Wake Up, Wake Up for Jesus. This will be fun. Wake Up, Wake Up for Jesus. So the next day, we saw the next day's Staley Lectureship Series. Dr. Bruce Metzger is there, and we're all standing, and we're holding hands, doing prayer prior to this you know, this renowned New Testament scholar coming out there. And we pray together, and after it was all over, Dr. Bruce Metzger looks at me, and everybody else has left the room. He looks at me, he says, young man, I mean, this was a stern moment. He says, today, are we going to sing the hymn the way the author intended it to be sung? I said, yes, sir, yes, sir. So we sang all four verses of every other song that we did the rest of the week. And anyway, I don't know why that reminded me of that, but stand up for Jesus, wake up for Jesus. All right, let me pray, and uh, I'll try to get back on track if that's possible. Lord, um, thank you so much for how you just care for us and love us, and just pray for the message today that it would speak to us, it would change us, help us understand more about what you want for our lives. And we just pray that in Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in the Gospel of Luke. In December, we talked about unexpected hope, kind of the, the birth of Jesus and how that created hope in people's lives. And this month, the month of January, we're doing undeniable power of Jesus, his power to overcome temptation, his power to perform miracles like the miraculous catch of fish that Josh talked about. Now, the rest of chapter 4 and chapter 5 are all these incredible miracles that Jesus is doing. And next week, we're going to go into Luke 8, and we're going to talk about some miracles that Jesus did. But I want you to read Luke 4 and 5, because you're going to see some incredible stories about the power of God to heal people, uh, the power of God to cast out an impure spirit out of a man, and then, of course, loving and forgiving the paralytic who was dropped on the mat uh, with his four, four friends who brought him before Jesus. Now, in the middle of all of these miracles... There is one phrase that we want to key in on today, and that is, that is that everybody, despite all of what Jesus was doing, they focused in on one primary thing about Jesus, and that was what? That was his teaching. The aspect that, Jesus, that they talked about with Jesus, that they focused on, was found in Luke chapter 4, verse 31. In the middle of all these miracles, it says, then he went down to Capernaum, which by the way was Simon Peter's hometown. It was right on the Sea of Galilee. I'd walk that place, been to the ruins of Peter's house, right there on the Sea of Galilee. And it says he went down to Capernaum, which was going to be Jesus' temporary hometown. Moved from, Lazarus, from, from Nazareth to Galilee. And it was a town in Galilee, and on the Sabbath he taught the people. And they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. That's amazing. They could have focused on anything else. But they focused on the power of Jesus' words. And the longest recorded teaching of Jesus is called the Sermon on the Mount. And the Sermon on the Mount was given not too far away from Capernaum, just uh, on the, the same side of the lake, just down a little ways. Uh, and, and now they actually refer to it as the Mount of Beatitudes. It was a place where Jesus got up and gave this incredible message. Now Luke's version of it is more like a summary. It's more like cliff notes. Uh, Matthew's version of it is much more extensive. Luke's version is only 29 verses. Matthew's retelling of the sermon is 106 verses. And so today, 
what we're going to do is I'm going to tell you one of the most famous portions of this sermon because quite frankly if we tried to do all the sermon on the uh, the sermon on the mount it would take us several weeks just to get through this sermon and so I decided to go into one portion of it which was the beatitudes Uh, now when we say beatitudes we're talking partly about the attitude of our heart but we're really talking about what God wants from us we're not talking about bad attitude versus good attitude I mean there is a lot of bad attitude out there right I I heard about this guy after church he went down to a local steakhouse and he had a really bad attitude the waiter waiter a waitress was just overwhelmed and so uh he says my steak is no good you need to take it back it's undercooked so she's like i'm so sorry sir i'm so sorry it was such a, such a hectic day and she had all these tables she brings it back to him and he says hey hey my steak is overcooked now you know anybody ever been a waitress you know it's irritating and so they're like well what am i going to do now and so finally she brings back and he's still not happy with it and then he looks at his potato it's got one small little black spot on his baked potato he goes hey hey come here come here come here come here this potato is bad she had enough she reached down grabbed the potato and went bad 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 how it held it back to him and said listen if it gives you any more problems you let me know and just totally shut him down you know friends there's supposed to be something different about our attitude our behavior and we are to be countercultural. And when you think about the Sermon on the Mount, there are many countercultural statements in there. Love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Do not judge. Forgive. So many countercultural statements. And friends, we are called to be different than the world. Our attitude is to be different. Our mentality is to be different. What I'm going to do today is do something that actually some of you may have seen me do uh, back in 2010. It is more of an illustrated sermon that describes... Uh, the Beatitudes. And by the end, you're going to understand the Beatitudes better. You're going to understand more about why Jesus' teaching was so powerful and so countercultural. But in the end, I hope that you will look back and say, this has changed something in me because you're going to understand more about the spiritual condition that God wants for all of our lives. All right? So we're going to go through each of the rungs on the ladder because I think that Jesus actually in his teaching He built one statement on another. Anytime you read the Beatitudes and you try to pull them out, I think you miss the context and you miss what Jesus was really getting at. Put it this way. I don't think Jesus ever woke up and he had a sermon to give that day and just was like, I don't know what I'm going to talk about today. What am I going to talk about? You know, I think he he knew, right? And he was prepared. And I think when it came to this message, he understood that he wanted something from people. He wanted them to understand what their spiritual condition was going to be like. So the first rung on the ladder, even before you get up there, is blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who are poor in spirit. This is the foundational stage to the Christian life. Blessed are those who are poor in spirit, for they um, will inherit the the kingdom of heaven. Now, when you think about that phrase, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, we often think, well, that just means I'm not supposed to have uh, wealth. I'm supposed to be in poverty. And some people have interpreted that way. When you say poor in spirit, what kind of words do you think of when you think of poor? What other kind of phrases would you use? What kind of words would you use? Poor. Without. Lacking. What else? Suffering. Broke. I'm <laughs> broke. There you go. That's my language. Broke. I'm just broke, man. I'm dead broke. I mean, I have nothing. And I think when it comes to your spiritual condition, the first step on the ladder is to say, I have to come before God and realize that I'm poor in spirit, that I'm spiritually busted. That when I look in my pockets, the only thing I've got is lint, you know? I mean, there's nothing there. 
And I'm not talking financial resources. I am talking about your condition before God. And you realize that in light of Christ, that you literally have nothing. Now that is far different than the world who wants to say that you need to achieve and get and gain more and more and more. It's all about you. It's all about what you can gain in this world. But Jesus says, if you want to be truly satisfied and happy, it starts with you being poor in spirit. Luke says it this way. In fact, Luke does something that Matthew doesn't do, and he gives the other side of the story, not with all the Beatitudes, but with some of them. And listen to what he says in Luke chapter 6, verse 24. Woe to you who are rich, who already have received your reward. Woe to you, by the way, who by your own effort, by your own power, by your own initiative, you think you've made it. You think you've earned it on your own way. You think you're going to go to heaven just because you've got it all together, just because you are who you are. Jesus says that's not true. The very first step is that you have to realize you are broken before God. And then the second step, what does he say here? Blessed are those of you who do what? Who mourn, you can go to the next slide, for they will be comforted. Now, a lot of people have taken that out of context to say, well, what he means there is just if you are just, you know, sad. If you're just sad, somehow God is going to cover you. And while that's true, what is he talking about here? Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. He's saying, what are you mourning over? You're mourning over the fact that you're what? You're poor in spirit. <laughs> you're, you really feel it because you understand, God, I, I'm a long way from you. I've got a long way to go. Because of that, I know I'm poor in spirit, and now I am mourning over the fact that I am poor in spirit. That's why many times when people come to Christ, they come to Christ in repentance with, um, with a lot of with tears. Now, not always is the decision for Christ made that way, but a lot of times it is. Because people realize, man, God, I, before you, I am broken. I mean, I really have nothing to offer, nothing to give. I'm a broken vessel, God, and somehow, if by your grace you can use me, that would be a great thing because I am mourning over the fact that I am poor in spirit. Your heart starts to bleed before God. That is why the psalmist writes, Create in me a clean heart, O God. Give me a contrite spirit. Renew in me a spirit that is humble before you, God. So Luke, again, gives this opposite view in Luke chapter uh, uh 6 verse 25, uh, he says, instead of mourning, he says, listen, woe to you who laugh for now, for you will weep and mourn. So he's giving you the opposite. Listen, woe to you who think you're rich, because you're really not. No matter how rich you are in this world, you're broken in spirit if you don't have the Lord Jesus in your life. Then he says, listen, if you're happy now and you're just laughing and happy-go-lucky and no big deal and merry as we go, you need to be broken before God and mourning if you do not have Christ in your life. Why? Because you realize, man, if you're happy now, that's all there is to it. You're happy now, but it's not going to last for eternity. So he says, you're going to mourn later. Woe to you who laugh now, for later you will mourn. So friends, your heart has to get soft before God. You have to weep over your sin and realize, God, I'm nothing without you. What's the third step? Blessed are the what? You can read it. The meek, for they will inherit the earth. Now, when you think about meekness, we often think about weakness, right? Anybody, anybody afraid of heights? <laughs> okay, I am. But anyway, so um, blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. All right. Now, meekness is not weakness. It's strength under control. The word was a word that was also used for the bridle on a, a, a horse. All this immense power, all this intensity. 
all just changed because of one ability to, to move it just a little bit. And you know what this is? It's not some Barney Fife, wimpy, no big deal. That's what a lot of people think Christians should be. No, this is simply all the strength that God has given you, all the ability God has given you. And now you are saying, God, I want to turn my control, all that I have, I want to turn the control of my life over to the will and the control of the Lord Jesus. God, I want you to control my life. As Carrie Underwood sings, God, I want you to take the wheel, right? Now, this is the point of decision. I mean, there are people that are broken in spirit that never make a decision for Christ. They realize they need to do something, but then they never actually make that commitment. This is the moment of decision. This is the time where you say, God, I I am broken before you. I'm mourning over the fact that I'm broken. And God, now I need you as my king and my redeemer and my savior. This is the moment where you repent and you turn your life over to the control of Jesus. We call it making him the Lord of your life. All right. You're confessing him as Lord. You're repenting of your sin. You're being baptized into Christ. And you're saying, God, I want you to take control of my life. Okay. What's the next one? You can read it. Blessed are those who do what? Hunger and thirst for righteousness. Now, those first three are the point of decision. And now you're to a place where you're saying, all right, now I'm hungering and thirsting for something else. In other words, your desires, your appetites, the things that you want now are different than the things that you had before. Last, you used to hunger for sin. Now you hunger for righteousness. You've made your decision. You're broken in spirit. You've mourned over that. And by the way, this isn't a one-time process. How many of you have gone through this process over and over in your life, right? And you're mourning over that sin, and you're repenting over that sin. You come to that point of decision, and then you begin to turn your affection and your heart and your desire over to the will of the Creator. And you say, God, I just want you in my life. I want the Word of God. I want want prayer in my life. God, I need you in my life. And so, God, would you just allow me to to be able to be hungering and thirsting for you? Oh, by the way, Luke also addressed this in Luke. So listen to this verse. He gives you the opposite of this again. Listen to what he says in Luke. He says, woe to you who are well fed, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are well fed, for you will be hungry. In other words, he's saying, listen, you think you've got it all together now. You're rich. You're comfortable, you're happy, you're well-fed. Look, without Jesus in your life, without committing your life to the Lordship of Christ on a regular basis, both that first time and then on that daily basis, you just have stuff. You think you're well-fed, but the fact is you're hungry before God. Those first four steps, those first four steps, poor in spirit, mourning, meekness, and hungering and thirsting for righteousness are all inward works of God in your life, okay? Realizing, God, I'm broken before you. I can't do anything. God, I'm mourning over this. God, I, I really want you to take control. And, and Lord, I just need to hunger and thirst after your righteousness. All four are inward works, things that God's doing inside of you. Now, the last ones, he begins to focus more from the inside and takes it outward. And says, I want you now to think about what's outside, okay? And so when you think about the next one, he says, I want you to do what? Next slide. I want you to show mercy, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Now, what's he saying there? Mercy is giving somebody else forgiveness. 
Jesus said, unless you forgive, uh, you won't be forgiven. Or by the measure that you forgive people. Does this bother anybody that I'm up here? You, all, you guys all right? You guys okay? You're freaking out. I know. I could see. This is going to get bad here in a minute. But anyway, so blessed are the merciful, for they will be forgiven. Now listen, here's the deal with this. If you are not forgiving people, I can come back down and talk. But if, if, if you're not forgiving people, Jesus said, whatever, whatever measure you forgive people, that will be the measure that you are forgiven with. So I want you to think about that for a minute. This outward demonstration. Now, first of all, I know some Christians who want to, or some people who want to skip the first four, and they just want to go to good works, okay? In other words, they, they want to skip being broken before God, and they feel like the way that they're going to get to heaven, the way that they're going to kind of ascend the ladder is what? If they just simply do all the good works of Christianity, somehow God's going to be like, hey, come on in, you've done all the right things. You cannot miss the first four steps on the ladder. Broken before God, poor in spirit, mourning over that, hungry and thirsting for righteousness, giving control of your life over to the will of the Creator. You cannot skip those. Likewise, you cannot just do those and skip the last four. You can't just be broken in spirit and mourning and then say, well, God, that's good enough. I'm good to go. I've done your will. No. Why? Because James says, faith without deeds is dead. In other words, if you've done all this, but you haven't yet built on that, but that faith is a dead faith. And so he says, you have to be giving mercy. So if you're a follower of Christ, you've submitted to the lordship of Christ in your life, and yet you're not showing mercy to other people, then you're not living the kind of life that God wants for you to live. Tommy Oaks is a, um, is a uh, storyteller, really, and a great guy um, that we knew in Tennessee. He's the He's the most southern guy I've ever met in my life. If, I mean, he's the most hickiest of hicks in terms of, like, his, his, his uh, accent and everything. You know, and so he tells this great story. It was camp. And everybody had this one kid there. This one kid was just completely isolated. He's a little bit different than everybody else, a little bit slower than the rest of the crowd. And for the first few days of camp, everybody kind of isolated this kid and made fun of him. Now, this was back in like the 80s and 90s when we had camp talent shows at Christian camp. And the song that we would always sing in the camp talent show, some kids always going to pull out Michael W. Smith, Friends are Friends Forever because the Lord's the Lord of them. And if you're not in church camp, you never would know. But if you were in church camp, you know, you're like, God, I've heard that song a million times. It's the cry song, right? Everybody's going to cry. Friends are friends forever. But the Lord's the Lord of you. And, and, and you go on and on and on and on. So he, it's talent night. And this young kid gets up to sing. He starts singing, friends are friends forever, if the Lord's the Lord of you. And he, people start giggling and laughing. Look at this kid, how silly. And then he kind of stops in the middle of it, and he doesn't really know where to go next. And there was this young lady who people did have affection for, they did like. And she got up in the middle of the talent show and stood right next to him and started to choke out the words along with him. Friends are friends forever if the Lord's the Lord of you. And, and then she puts his, her arm around him, and they finished the song together. I mean, there wasn't a dry eye in the place. Everybody is, and guess what? The rest of the week, everybody treated this kid totally differently because one kid showed mercy. One kid decided to break out of the norm. And I'm just asking you guys, when you think about your own life, are you expressing mercy to other people? Are you expressing the kind of love that Jesus would express? 
Are you showing that kind of demonstration to other people? All right, here we go. Blessed are you who are poor in spirit. Blessed are you who mourn. Blessed are you who are meek. Blessed are you who are hungry and thirst for righteousness. Blessed are you who are merciful. And blessed are you who are pure in heart. Now, it's getting serious, isn't it? It's getting serious in a lot of ways, but one of the ways it's getting serious is because pure in heart is not actually a work of you. It's a work of the Holy Spirit in your life, but it's given and it's done because you decide, God, I do want to follow you, and I want my life to be pure. Pure does not mean perfect. Perfect is perfect. God's expectation that you would always be perfect, well, the Apostle Paul spoke about that. He said, man, the things I don't want to do, I end up doing. The things I do want to do, I end up not doing. And because of that, I'm really struggling before the Lord. But what he is talking about is an authentic, pure relationship with God, okay, where the masks are removed. That's why it gets tough up here. Why? Because it's hard to have masks. It, it, I mean, it's easier to have masks. It's hard to take it off. It's hard to be authentic before people. I heard of this one guy. He uh, brought his two kids. Oops, brought his two kids to a goodies department. Whoa, that's not fine. No, it's okay. It's all right. Um, he brought his two kids to a goodies department store. Anybody ever heard of goodies department store? Um, it's uh, it's kind of like a uh, TJ Maxx type deal, and. Uh, and, and so he brings his two kids, and that day they happened to have a mannequin there. And his two kids, four and six, they were so intrigued by this mannequin. And, and they, they kept looking at him, and, and my friend knew that this guy was actually a mannequin, a, a real person. And so uh, his kids are standing there looking at him. One of them's like, he's real. The other one's like, he ain't real. The other one's like, he's real. The other one's like, he ain't real. He's not real. And suddenly the mannequin just looked down and said, how you doing? And I mean, like, the guy's freaking out. Oh, my gosh. What is this? And this will be a stretch, um, but I just think that people are looking for something that's real today. I think that one of the reasons, and actually when we talked the other day, one of the things that these guys talked about was like there's just a realness here. We hear that about other people who visit here, is there just seems to be a realness. There's just, let's just drop the mask. Let's just be who we are. We want to see God. He said, if you want to see God, you got to be pure in heart. You gotta be somebody who comes before God without the mask, without all the all the airs of perfection, and just go, God, this is who I am. Like it or not, this is just who I am. People can like me or they cannot like me, but God, before you, I just want to be authentic. I want to be authentic before you. And so that's really the challenge that he's offering. Are you pure in heart? There's two more. The next one, and this is getting really tough, is blessed are the peacemakers. Why? Blessed are the peacemakers. Because this is up to the top. Why? Because it's, it's one thing to be internal. It's one thing to forgive somebody. But now you're a peacemaker. You're standing with somebody else in between two people who are maybe having attitudes or hatred. And now you're able to say, listen, I want to, what? Help to create a a synergy here. I want to help build relationships here. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the peacemakers before they will be called the children of God. So the question is, where are you on this ladder today? Where are you? Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the merciful. Are you showing mercy to people? 
Have you made a decision for Christ? Have you said, listen, I want to turn control of my life over to God? Are you hungering and thirsting for righteousness? Are you pure in heart? Are you poor in spirit? Are you broken before God? And are you mourning over those things? Where are you today on this ladder? Have you ever made a commitment to Christ? If you haven't, you cannot get to heaven without being committed to Christ and his lordship in your life. You have to say, Jesus, I want to be part of your family. I'm broken before you. You have to realize you're busted before God. And by the way, for those of you who are believers in Christ, you have to constantly evaluate, how am I doing on this? Am I growing in my relationship with God? Am I truly hungering and thirsting for his righteousness? Because I want to be filled. Where are you? There's one last step. This is the toughest. So once you've realized that you are poor in spirit, once you've mourned, once you're meek, you give control of your life over to, to, to God, you're now doing what? What's after that? In fact, I'll just test you guys here for a second, all right? First step, you are poor in spirit. Why? Because you're, you're broken before God. Then what are you doing because you're poor in spirit? Morning. Then you realize, I need to turn control of my life over to the will of God. I need to commit my life to Him. I need to repent. I need to be baptized. So what does this, the Bible call this control? Giving over control. Meek, blessed are the meek. And then after that, now you're ready to grow. You're doing what? Hungering and thirsting for righteousness. I was making sure you weren't giving them any help back there, Rob. Hungering and thirsting for righteousness, for you will be filled. After that, now you're going from an inward to an outward. And the first outward, you're going to be showing what? Showing mercy to people, okay? And then you're going to say before God, I'm not perfect, but I do want to be what? Pure in heart. I want to be authentic before you, God. Now I'm going to be a peacemaker before other people. Right? Is that the next one? I gave you that one. I'm going to be a peacemaker before people. And the last one, he said, blessed are those of you who are persecuted. Now, persecution is by far the hardest and most difficult one. Watch out. It's by far the most difficult one. Why? Because now people are standing up against you. Uh Uh-oh. They're standing up against you. And now they're saying that... <laughs> now you are making me nervous. This is like this is like America's got talent. No, I'm just kidding. Listen, when you talk about persecution, here's the deal. We generally in this life are not very persecuted, okay? But we know people who are. Lisa and I were at a recent conference a couple years ago. We were asked to come pray as we were helping be leaders of this conference. We were on the team to help plan the conference. There were thousands of people there. At the, at the final night of the conference, the main speaker got up and said there are people all over the world who are being persecuted for their faith. Some of those people are here with us tonight. And he said, I want uh, those of you who will pray for those who are being persecuted, would you come forward? And so Lisa and I, being on the executive team, came forward. And then he said, now, if you are in the persecuted church around the world, I want you to go to one of these individuals, and they're going to pray for you. And so we stood there, and a couple from India came up, and they prayed with us. They told us their story. 
Their story involved just incredible tragedies of hardship, rape, persecution, pulled from their homes in front of their children, threatened to be killed. Many of their friends had been, who had been pastors. And they said, would you pray for us? Now, I can just tell you that in the middle of that, that's an incredibly humbling experience because I've never faced anything like that ever in my life. And to be asked to pray for these individuals and all of what they are enduring uh, was an incredible, meaning, incredibly meaningful moment. And what I want to say to you is there is persecution, more persecution happened last year than happened in all of Christian history around the world. And we have to be aware of what true persecution actually is because the call of a Christ follower is not comfort. It's not just be casual. It's not just show up when you want. It's not just, hey, do it if you want. You're still all going to heaven. The call of someone who follows Christ is what? To be broken before God, to mourn over your brokenness, to be contrite before God, to give over the control of your life over the will of of, of Jesus, to make him the Lord of your life, to be pure in heart, to be merciful to others, to be peacemakers, to hunger and thirst for righteousness. And then if you do that, you will be persecuted. If you're not being persecuted, even to a small extent, the question is, are you really following the latter? Are you really contrite before God? Do people really know that you follow Christ? Persecution is part of the plan, guys. It's just what happens. And then this couple from India prayed for me and Lisa. And in a very powerful and bold way, prayed for our ministry and what was happening in our church. And um, what I want to say to you today is you have to do some serious evaluation, as I do too. Where are you on the ladder? You ever made a decision? If you haven't, you need to. Um, and are you expressing the outward things that God's asking you to express? And when you do, there'll be some persecution. Now, I want to close with something I think I've also done before, but it's one of the really meaningful kind of quotes that I've heard. And, and it's called The Fellowship of the Unashamed. I'll put it on the screen so you can read it with me. It simply said, I'm part of the fellowship of the unashamed. I have Holy Spirit power. The die has been cast. I've stepped over the line. The decision has been made. I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I won't look back, let up, slow down, back away, or be still. My past is redeemed. My presence makes sense. My future is secure. I'm finished and done with low living, sidewalking, small playing, Smooth needs, colorless dreams, tame visions, mundane talking, cheap giving, and dwarf goals. I no longer need preeminence, prosperity, position, promotions, plaudits, or popularity. I don't have to be right, first, tops, recognized, pleased, rewarded, or regarded. I now live by faith, lean on His presence, walk by patience, live by prayer, and labor by power. My face is set. My gate is fast. My goal is heaven. My road is narrow. My way, my way is rough. 
My companions are few. My guide is reliable. My mission is clear. I cannot be bought, compromised, detoured, lured away, turned back, deluded or delayed. I will not flinch in the face of sacrifice, hesitate in the presence of adversity, negotiate at the table of the enemy, ponder at the pool of popularity, or meander in the maze of mediocrity. I won't give up, shut up, or let up until I've stayed up, stored up, prayed up, paid up, and preached up for the cause of Christ. I'm a disciple of Jesus, and I must go until he comes, give until I drop, preach until all know, work until he stops me, and when he comes for his own, he will have no problem recognizing me because my banner will be clear. And friends, my prayer is that that will become your kind of prayer today. God, I recognize I need you. It's a broken heart. My life is in your hands. God, I'm hungry for you. I'm thirsty for you. Turn me into a loving person when I can just love people and show mercy all day long. Turn me into the person who's just real all the time, not trying to put mask on or be phony. God, turn me into the kind of person who isn't just a thermostat, who, who actually can, can change the temperature in the room. And God, if, I, if persecution comes my way, then so be it, because I'm starting to look like Jesus. And they persecuted Jesus, and the Bible said, Jesus said, because they persecute me, they will persecute you also. And the more you look like Jesus, the more you can expect persecution. Why? Because Jesus was countercultural. And his teaching, man, his teaching, so different. He taught as one who had authority. So today... Where are you? Where are you? What decision do you need to make? We're going to go into a time of commitment and song. Um, I'll be down here to pray with you and talk with you about your commitments. If you want to come forward. Now look, back in the day at churches, we used to have an invitation every weekend and people come all the time. It seems like today we don't do as many invitations. And so some people get nervous. They say, well, I don't know if I can go. Look, you'll never do this if you can't do that. You'll never walk the ladder if you can't make a step forward. So you've got to take a step. You've got to be willing to go, God, I'm willing to take that first step. I'm broken before you. I need you in my life. You just come. We'll talk to you about it. Lord, thank you so much for loving us. Thank you for Jesus. And God, I pray today that all of this will be a powerful reminder, a powerful reminder of what it means to actually follow you. And God, we just pray for this moment of decision that every single person in this room would, would take a personal inventory of where they are before you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.